you understand we're walking through big words of faith. Last week we looked at salvation. Now salvation encompasses a lot. Justification is one of those things in which is encompassed inside that word of salvation. Next week we're going to look at sanctification. Sanctification does not bring salvation. Sanctification comes because of salvation. And then glorification is another process by which comes because of the fact that you've been saved. And you are saved by faith. Ephesians 2.8 tells us, For it is by grace through faith. Uh, this is not the work of you and I, but it is the gift of God in Christ Jesus so that no man can boast. But today we're looking at a large chunk of Scripture. Paul is writing to the church in Rome and is explaining to them how God imputes righteousness on the one who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. It is not infused. The sanctification process is not in the reckoning of justification. Justification comes because we've got a great God who saves us by faith. It is by grace, he saves us by grace through our faith. By grace through faith you are saved. And when you are saved, you are justified. That means you are made right in the sight of God. This word justified or justification is used some 30 times in Romans. And it's concentrated in chapter 2 verse 13 through chapter 5 verse 1. So what is justification? It's a big word, right? That's the reason why I preach it through this, so we can understand what these words mean. Justification. Whereas forgiveness is the negative side of salvation, which if there is a negative side, that is the negative side of salvation. Justification is the positive side, and to justify is to declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Not by man, but by Jesus Christ. We don't justify anybody. It is the forensic or legal act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous on the basis of the blood of Christ. It's not based on your works. It's not based on your parents' works. It's not based on your attendance, your baptism, your ordinance partaking, or any of that sort of thing. It's based upon the blood of Jesus. So the major emphasis of justification is positive. It involves two main aspects. It involves the pardon and removal of all sins and the end of separation from God. Acts chapter 13, 39, Romans 4, 6 through 7, Romans 5, 9 through 11, and 2 Corinthians 5, 19 backs up that statement. It also involves the bestowal of righteousness upon the believing person and a title to all blessings promised to the just. We have two main aspects in justification. Justification is given through the grace of God, Romans 3, 24. And it takes place the moment the individual has faith in Christ. The moment the individual has faith in Christ, Romans 4, 2. In Romans 5, 1. In Romans 8, 1 tells us, Therefore there is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ. The ground of justification is the death of Jesus Christ, Romans 5, 9. Apart from any works, Romans 4, 5, and also John 6, 28 and 29, where Jesus says, if you want to do these works, if you want to do the work, 
this is the work I want of you, believe on me. There is no work toward salvation, but of faith. It's placing your faith in Jesus Christ. The means of justification is faith, Romans 5.1. We're going to hit that verse in just a little while. Through justification, God maintains his integrity and his standard, yet is able to enter fellowship with sinners because they have the very righteousness of Christ imputed to them. Now let's look at the scripture today. Romans 3, 21 through 26. Every section I've given a question to. Romans 3, 21 through 26 says, How was God's righteousness manifested? How was God's righteousness manifested? Let's look at verses 21 through 26 of Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, not created, but witnessed by, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There it is. To all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God has set forth as a propitiation. I'll give you a definition of that word in a minute. That's another big one. Whom God has set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So how was God's righteousness manifested? Apart from the law. It was manifested apart from the law, but witnessed to by the law and the prophets. That's exactly what the scripture tells us right off the bat. It was not by the law, but apart from the law, God's righteousness was manifested. It was manifested in the life of Jesus. And I also want you to understand in this, there's two things that there is no distinction about. There is no one who gets around this next truth. If you look there in Romans 3, 23. Actually, it's the latter part of verse 22 leading into 23. It says, for there is no difference. For all have sinned if all short of the glory of God. All have sinned. There is no way around it. There is not a single person who's walked this planet, with the exception of Jesus, who has not sinned. Everyone has committed a sin against God. And if you've committed one sin, you have broken the law, therefore you are a trespasser. You are a transgressor, excuse me, of the law. Some people have iniquity, some people have transgressions. Iniquity is any sin ignorant or knowledgeable of the law. Transgressions is I know the law and I still choose to sin against it. So therefore, that's the difference. We are all sinners. Sinners comes from iniquity or transgressions. Most of the time when you hear transgressions mentioned by, the, by Jesus Christ, it's in reference to the Pharisees. It's in reference to the Jews. But if you hear iniquity, it's most of the time to the Gentiles because they didn't know the law to know what they were or were not breaking. They did have a, con they did have a conscience, but they did not have the law. So if, if, if I know there's a fence and I jump the fence, I am trespassing because the fence has a reason to be there, owned by someone who put it up there. But a transgression is much of the same. The, the, the law is put there, and if you jump past the law, you have transgressed the law. 
But in iniquity, you don't know anything around it. You walk through, and let's say the gate may be open, whatever it may be, and you just walk through the gate, you, or there's an opening somewhere. You see no fence anywhere, and you walk through it, and you're on someone else's property. That's iniquity. Because whether you knew it or not, you're on their property. You're trespassing. There's iniquity and transgressions. But nonetheless, we see this here. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all who by faith have believed on Jesus are justified by his grace as a gift. So there's no distinction. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified who by faith have believed on Jesus by his grace as a gift. That's how salvation comes. That's how you are justified. By his grace as a gift. And how does that gift come? It came through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus there in verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption is not found in any other way. It is in Christ Jesus. Not around him, not about him. It's in him. And the only way you're going to get redeemed is through and in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is a new creation, they are new. Behold, the old is past. They are a new creation in Christ. So therefore, we understand that redeeming is in Christ. How did that happen? God set forth Jesus Christ as a propitiation, as a propitiation by his blood. Now, here we go. What is this word propitiation? I'm telling you, it's a big one. It's a big old word. And, and I mean, for years, I had no clue what that word meant. I went to seminary, and when I went to seminary, people started telling me what some of these big old words meant in the Bible. When I was growing up, I mean, we had great preachers. They all preached great sermons. Man, the Lord saved me through the preached word. I can't remember what it was that was preached on that day because it don't matter because it's God, God's grace that brought me to him. But yet the word of God, if the word of God's not preached, I can't hear. And if I can't hear, then I don't know what I'm doing. But I got to hear the word of God. So I'm listening to it. So what I understood was this, that Jesus Christ died for me and I had to place my faith in him. But God set forth his son justified freely through his grace we are, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Look at all that, through faith, in faith, in Christ, all these different things. Faith in Christ are hand in hand for salvation and for justification. But what is propitiation? What is that big old word? As I've come back around to it, what was Christ? what was Christ's propitiation to show? Well, that word propitiation, I'm going to answer that question in just a minute. What was Christ's propitiation to show? Hold that question in thought. I don't have it on the screen because that's not one of my main points. This is a sub-point underneath this other one. All right? So before we look into the work of propitiation, we need to know what it is. In biblical terms, it means that the death of Christ fully satisfied all the righteous demands of God toward the sinner. That's what Moody, Moody's Handbook of Theology tells us. And because God is holy and righteous, he cannot overlook sin. Through the work of Jesus Christ, God is fully satisfied that his righteous standard has been met. Through union with Christ, the believer can now be accepted by God and spared from the wrath of God. So propitiation is related to several thoughts. Propitiation is related to this thought of the wrath of God. 
It removes it from the believer. Propitiation also uh, gives this thought that God provides the remedy. God provides the remedy. And propitiation also says this, that Christ's death assuages, which is a big word, so I looked it up. It means quenches. Some of you may be smarter than me. And you knew what that word meant for as soon as I said it. But I looked it up. I was like, I got a good feeling because I know how to contextually read a sentence. But Christ's death assuages the wrath of God. That means that it quenches it. Christ's death quenches the wrath of God. So propitiation is Godward. It is Godward. That means God is propitiated. His holiness is vindicated and satisfied by the death of Christ. No matter what we do, our sin could not be satisfied because we are sinful people. We're not pure. We're not holy apart from Christ's righteousness being placed on us. Well, how are we going to get Christ's righteousness placed on us without his blood being shed? Hebrews tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So how are we going to do that apart from Christ's holy, perfect blood? It's not going to happen. It is through the blood of Christ that we are justified. We place our faith in the work of Jesus Christ. We place our faith in Jesus Christ, which, which means the work of Jesus Christ. And then righteousness is imputed to us immediately upon profession of faith as Christ is Lord and believing that God raised his son from the dead. You shall be saved. That means we are stood in right favor before God. There is now nothing that hinders us from being able to stand before God. Just as I quoted earlier from Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I can stand before God and there is no condemnation for me. Because righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed unto me. Because my faith, by His grace, my faith has been placed in Him as my Lord. Not in me, not in a work not in anything else except for in Jesus and his completed work. When he said it is finished, that means there ain't no more work for me to do for salvation. But there's tons of work for me to do from salvation. Don't ever understand that. Sanctification is the process, and I'll talk about this next week, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. But sanctification is the separating of us from the world and separating us to the Lord. And, and sanctification is a dual effort. Because it's not salvific. Salvation has already occurred. Sanctification is the realization that I want to be more like Christ. So what was Christ's propitiation to show? What was it to show? This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. You look at that there in that passage of scripture there in verses 25 and 26. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. This was also to show, there's two, there were two uh, reasons. It says, what was Christ's propitiation to show? There were two things to show. It was to show his righteousness, and it was to show his righteousness for the past and his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier. Just and the justifier. Let's look at verses 27 through 31. Romans 3, 27 through 31. It reads like this. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. 
Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Which would mean that, you know, you're only justified by the works of the law. Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Which the Gentiles don't know the law. The Gentiles come to faith after the law. So, so is, he, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law of faith, the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So the question for verses 27 through 31, how does God's manifested righteousness affect our response? Well, many view that the works of the Old Testament saints created the faith in our forefathers. But it was their faith that created their works that made their faith manifest to those around them. Many view that the works of the Old Testament saints created the faith in our forefathers. It didn't create the faith. The faith, that, but it was their faith that created their works. When God called Abraham to leave the Ur of the Chaldeans, to leave, he said, go out to a land you ain't never seen. You know what? He could have said he had faith, but he, he acted upon it. He had faith to act. Faith came before the action. So works do not create salvation or faith, but rather they solidify the profession of faith of an individual. Works solidify that. Works are to reveal to other people that I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Why do we baptize? We don't baptize unto salvation. We baptize from salvation. Because if you have no faith and I stick you in that water, that water, we didn't pour the Holy Spirit into that bathtub. We poured water into the bathtub. I mean the bathtub, the baptismal pool. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. We poured water into that. But Jesus Christ poured his Holy Spirit into you. At the moment that you placed faith into Jesus Christ, he poured into you the Holy Spirit. After that, we poured water into the baptism so we could baptize you. So you could show everybody out here, I have placed my faith by grace in Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. And I want you, church, to hold me accountable unto this. That's the reason why we do that. We don't get them out of order. You know, I, I've heard pastors say, let's get this baptism in order. This thing keeps sliding in the back of my head. I don't know if it's picking me up very good. But... uh. It, it, we we got to get those things in order. You, you come to faith in Jesus Christ, and then you are baptized. You come to faith in Jesus Christ, and you are justified. Whether you get baptized or not, you know, we look back. And this is commonly what we look to is back to the cross. And the thief on the cross. And he came to faith. He said, Lord, remember me when this day when you enter into paradise. And the Lord says, today you will be with me in paradise. There was no baptism. Nobody sprinkled any water on him. He certainly wasn't dunked in any water. He died right there. But I fully believe that Jesus' words are true. And I fully believe that Jesus' words has all the power needed for salvation. There's nothing else I need to do to be saved. But there's a lot of things I need to do because I'm saved. What's the first line that they say that, that uh, Paul writes there? 
Verse 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. Because if it's by works, we can boast. But if it's by faith, it's in the work of Christ. So we can boast, but we can't boast of ourselves. We can boast of Christ. But boasting is excluded because we ain't done, we ain't done nothing. It's like, it's like the person that, that gets to celebrate the victory of the basketball team but never got to get on the court. Trust me, I've been there several times. When I was in high school, I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't a starter. I, I usually got to play in every game, but I was not a starter. It was only like one or two years when I actually started. But I got to participate in the victories every time. I was on the team. Jesus is the one who secures the victory. I'm on the team. So I get, to, I get to be a part of that. So I can boast, but I can't boast of what I did. I can boast of what Christ did. I can boast of the guys that played and scored a lot of points, got rebounds, blocked shots. Way to go! Jesus did all those things. I didn't do any of it. I just get to be on the team. So boasting has no place in the life of the faithful and redeemed. What law negates the opportunity for boasting? The law of faith. You see that there in verse 27. It says that there. In Ephesians 2.8, this is still Paul writing, but Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. And he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. This is by the grace of God that we have faith in Jesus Christ. It is by His grace. God is the God of both Jews and Gentiles because God is one. Whether it was circumcised uh, or uncircumcised, if they place faith in Jesus Christ, they're saved. They're saved. God will justify both the uncircumcised and the circumcised by their faith. In that truth, John MacArthur explains, uh, by this faith we uphold the law, or the way the New King James says it, on the contrary, we establish the law. Salvation by grace does not minimize the law, but underscores its true importance. It provides a payment for the penalty of death, which the law required for failing to keep it. Failing to keep the law, the penalty is death, for the wages of sin is death. But yet salvation by grace provides a payment for the penalty of death. It also fulfills the law's original purpose, which is to serve as a tutor to show our utter inability to obey God's righteous demands and to drive people to Christ. Galatians 3.24 And salvation by grace also underscores the law's true importance because it gives the believers the capacity to obey it. Romans 8, 3, and 4. Look at Romans 4, 1 through 8. How was Abraham justified? Romans 4, 1 through 8. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? He's trying to give, give, these, uh, give the Jews an understanding of what it means to be justified by faith. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as God also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. And whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So how was Abraham justified? His faith 
was counted as righteousness, so in turn justified him in the eyes of God. His faith was counted as righteousness, so in turn justified him in the eyes of God. Abraham was known as the father of the Jews, and he revealed three reasons to understand that faith justifies. Listen to these three reasons to understand that faith justifies. The Jews regarded Abraham as the great founder of the race and the pattern of all that a man should be. That's how they looked upon Abraham. Jews would naturally question what made Abraham special to be picked as this founder. What was so great about Abraham for God to choose him? Nothing. It was by grace that God chose Abraham. There's nothing special about him, just like there's nothing special about me. But God, through his grace, reached out to me. And I placed my faith in Jesus Christ because he reached out to me. Paul is also about to answer this question for the Jews. The second thing uh, that reveals the second reason to understand that faith justifies, Paul was seeking to prove that what makes a man right with God is not the performance of the works that the law lays down, but the simple trust of complete yieldedness, which takes God at his word and believes that he still loves us, even when we have done nothing to deserve that love. The Jews' immediate response could have been, this is something entirely new and a contradiction of all that we have been taught to believe. This doctrine is completely incredible. And Paul's answer is, so far from being new. This doctrine is as old as the Jewish faith. So far from being a heretical novelty, it is the very basis of the Jewish religion. This is what Paul is about to prove. And then lastly, the third reason... To understand that faith justifies, Paul wants the Jewish people to see this thought in flesh. So he uses their greatest patriarch, Abraham. A wise teacher knows that every idea must become a person. For the only way in which an ordinary person can grasp an abstract idea is to put it uh, in action, is to see this idea in action embodied in a person. So Paul, in effect, says, I have been talking to you about faith. If you want to see what faith is, look at Abraham. We can't grasp a lot of abstract. It's like love. What is love? Well, uh, we, we talk about a mother's love for their child. It's, love is an abstract idea. So how do you do it? You embody it. It's the same thing here with Paul. Paul's saying faith is an abstract idea. You want to see faith? Look at Abraham. Abraham stepped out in faith. He did what, what God called him to do. He said, go to a land that you've never been to. Pack up everything and go. And by faith, he packed up everything and he went. If you really want to see an abstract idea in reality, see it embodied in a person. This is what Paul is saying. You want to see how Abraham is justified? Look at his life. His faith justified him, but his faith was in action beyond that. He worked from his salvation, but he was justified upon the moment he believed. It was counted unto him as righteousness, as the text said. He was justified in the eyes of God. Look there at verses 9 through 12. Why was Abraham's righteousness counted to him? 4 through 12, Romans 4, 9 through 12. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? Good question. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Yes. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while he was circumcised, but while uncircumcised. 
For he received the sign of uncircum, excuse me, for he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised. That righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who are not only, excuse me, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Boy, that's a, that's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot. Now, circumcision is an act that was, te- that was uh, a seal that was given to the Jewish people by God to uh, recognize them as followers of the Jewish faith, the Jewish religion. It was the removal of the foreskin from the, from the male anatomy. And so Abraham here, he, he by faith trusted God prior to circumcision. And if you look at this, Barclay wrote this about circumcision. He says, to the Jew, a man who was not circumcised was quite literally not a Jew, no matter what his parentage was. The Jewish circumcision prayer, circumcision prayer is like this. Blessed is he who sanctified his beloved from the womb and put his ordinance upon his flesh and sealed his offspring with the sign of the Holy Covenant. The rabbinic ordinance puts it this way. We shall not eat of the Passover unless the seal of Abraham be in your flesh. If a Gentile accepted the Jewish faith, he could, he could not enter fully into it without three things. Baptism, sacrifice, and circumcision. To help us understand the fullness of Abraham's righteousness being counted to him, we can see in Genesis 15, 6 is where Abraham's call and God's blessing was on him. Genesis 15, 6. But the story of Abraham's circumcision is found in Genesis 17, 10. 14 years after Abraham placed faith in God. 14 years. So there is no work. No work that brings faith. Faith is what you place in Christ or in God in the Old Testament. And then his righteousness is imputed to him. His righteousness was accounted unto him. His faith accounted unto him righteousness is the best way to say that. It was not circumcision and then faith. It was faith and then circumcision. It's not baptism and then faith. It's faith and then baptism. Baptism is the sign of the church today to say you're a part of the body of Christ. Not circumcision. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of a private practice there with that kind of thing. But back then, that was how they knew. That sounds pretty strange. Just, just, I don't need to go too far into that. But that's a weird way, you know what I'm saying? To know. But when they went to the restroom, everybody looked about the same in the Middle East, right? Jesus was not a white man. He wasn't a black man. He was from the Middle East. And all of them looked very similar. Their hairstyles were similar. Everything was very similar about everybody. So how did you know if they were a, truly a Jew or not? I don't know, people peaked. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I don't know, it's weird. <laughs> it's, it's, it's strange, you know what I'm saying? They had to present themselves when they went into the temple. This is pretty, but they had to present themselves before they went into the temple, right? Strange stuff. Praise God we don't do that today, right? 
To God be the glorious baptism, not circumcision. That we see this, his faith came before his circumcision. His faith came before his circumcision. And Paul makes two amazing points here. Abraham is the father of those who make the same act of faith in God as he has made. As he has made. And a person may be a Jew of pure lineage and may be circumcised, and yet in the real sense, may be no descendant of Abraham. He has no right to call Abraham his father or to claim the promises of God unless he makes that venture of faith that Abraham made. That's the only way. Look at Romans 4, 13 through 25. Romans 4, 13 through 25. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. I explained that earlier. Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law. You see that? It covers everyone who comes to Christ by faith. But also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, going back to Genesis 1, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, already dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So you're talking about here, he's talking about he's old, he can't have any more children. But he didn't count that, he believed by faith that God was going to do uh, what he said he was going to do. Verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Woo! Who were the beneficiaries of Abraham's righteousness? Abraham and everybody. Everybody was. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but I want you to understand this. I highlighted verses 20 and 21 because I want to get to chapter 5, and I know I'm out of time. But look at verse 20 and 21. It says, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. Talking about God is able to do. He's going to finish what he said he started, and what he did start. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham, Abraham made a personal decision to give glory to God, which strengthened his faith. When you are struggling, when you can't see things, give glory. Glory to God. It will strengthen your faith. When you and I are struggling in life, give glory to God. When you and I are seeing things from a mortal instead of immortal perspective, give glory to God. When you and I don't feel like going to church, leading our family, speaking up about our standards, being a witness, or going on mission, give glory to God. In this moment and season, just as we read of Abraham, we will grow strong in our faith. Our faith in the glorifying of God is likened to a circle of knowing God's 
uncompromising ability to finish the work he started. Give glory to God. He builds our faith. We get more faith. Give glory to God. He builds our faith. We have more faith. We do more things. Give glory to God. It's, it's an ongoing circle. Give glory to God. And that's what Abraham did. He gave glory to God. Man, my wife's womb is barren. I'm an old man. We can't have no kids. But glory to God, I believe he's going to keep his word. What did he do? He gave him the nations. The nations came, out, came through Abraham and, and he and his wife. Look at Romans 5, 1 through 5 and 6 through 11. These are going to be quick. Romans 5, 1 through 5. What is gained through our justification? Therefore... Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, or some translations say sufferings, knowing that sufferings or tribulation produces perseverance or endurance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in, in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us. Remember, I talked about that a moment ago. The Holy Spirit is in us. So what is gained through our justification? We have gained peace. We've gained peace is what that passage of Scripture says. We've been reconciled with God. No longer are we at enmity with God, but when Christ our great advocate, our, our, our substitution, our propitiation. When he died in our place and when we place our faith in him, we are reconciled. Our relationship is made right again with God and we have peace. We have access. We have access to God's grace for our position. Before, we could not stand before God because we were in sin and God's Jesus Christ's righteousness was not imputed to us. So we could not stand before God as unholy, filthy enemies that were weak. We could not stand before God. But by grace through faith, when he is, his righteousness has been imputed to me, I could stand before God the Father. And I have access to this grace. We have access. We have hope. We have hope in the glory of God. And that's, that is talking about a return, his glorious return, really. We have this hope, and not this hope so, but this, man, I can't wait for it to happen kind of hope. I'm not wondering, is it going to happen? I'm hoping as to when it's going to happen. We have this hope, but we also have suffering. You may say, what? Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just talked about three wonderful things here. Yeah, yeah we've got peace, we've got access, we've got hope, and we have suffering. We have suffering. There is nothing that brings us closer to God than going through suffering. Nothing that brings us closer to God than going through suffering. Because when we, we go through suffering, it associates our lives to Christ. Suffering produces endurance or perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. It doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So what is gained through our justification? Peace, access, hope, suffering. And then if you really want to break down in the suffering, we gain these things such as endurance or perseverance and character and yet a double dose of hope, if you will, because it comes again through that suffering. 
Let's look at Romans 6 through 11 and finish out. Who were we? Who were we without justification? Romans 5, 6 through 11. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, there it is again, we're justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, his resurrection. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So who were we without justification? We were weak. We were weak. For when we were still without strength, some translations say, for when we were when we were yet weak. We were weak. We had no spiritual strength of our own. We had nothing to stand. We had no ground to stand on. We had nothing for which we could stand before God. We were weak, feeble. But yet through Christ we were made strong. Through Christ we were made strong. We were ungodly. We were doing everything that pleased our own hearts and our own selves, our own desires. We pursued those things. We were ungodly. But yet through Christ, we are made righteous. We are made godly through Christ. We were sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were all sinners. But praise God, through Christ, we are made saints. We are made saints through Christ. And we were enemies there in verse 10. But through Christ, you were made family. You're made family. Who were we without justification? We were weak, ungodly sinners and enemies of Christ. But by God's grace, but by God's grace, through faith, you're saved. And when you are saved, you are strong, you are righteous, you are a saint, and you are a part of the family of God. You've got a place. You are justified. You are justified. And it says that he, just as the scripture we read earlier about, in this present time, he displayed his righteousness so that he may be, the, he may be just and the justifier of all those who come to him by faith.